Let's open the Scriptures to the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 9. So this serves as helpful background to what we find in our text in 2 Chronicles 22, where the king of Judah, named Ahaziah, goes to visit the king of Israel, who goes by the name of Joram, or sometimes it's Jehoram. Can get a little confusing, and then the Lord's judgment falls. So, 2 Kings chapter 9. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him. Rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. And they said, That is not true. Tell us now. And he said, Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Thus Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram, with all Israel, had been on guard at Ramoth-Gilead against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to, uh, to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. So Jehu said, If this is your decision, then let no one slip out of the city to go and tell the news in Jezreel. Then Jehu mounted his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to visit Joram. Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So a man on horseback went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? 
Turn around and ride behind me. And the watchman reported, saying, The messenger reached them, but he is not coming back. Then he sent out a second horseman who came to them and said, Thus the king has said, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Turn around and ride behind me. Again the watchman reported, He reached them, but he is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Joram said, Make ready. And they made ready his chariot. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, set out each in his chariot and went to meet Jehu and met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace can there be so long as the whorings and the sorceries of your mother Jezebel are so many? Then Joram reigned about and fled, saying to Ahaziah, Treachery, O Ahaziah! And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his aide, Take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember what you and I, when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. Now therefore take him up and throw him on the plot of ground in accordance with the word of the Lord. When Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, he fled in the direction of Beth Hagan. And Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also. And they shot him in the chariot at the ascent of Gur, which is by Ibleim. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. His servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah began to reign over Judah. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank. And he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. But when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezreel, the dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel, so that no one can say, This is Jezebel. Please turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 22, continuing where we left off last time. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah his youngest son, so that's the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, king in his place. For the band of men that came with the Arabians to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. He even followed their counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram, and he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that he had received at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was wounded. But it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come about through his going to visit Joram. For when he came there, he went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he met the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who attended Ahaziah, and he killed them. He searched for Ahaziah, and he was captured while hiding in Samaria, and he was brought to Jehu and put to death. They buried him, for they said, He is the grandson of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. And the house of Ahaziah had no one able to rule the kingdom. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeath, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshabeath, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of Jehoiada the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years hidden in the house of God while Athaliah reigned over the land. So far, the reading of God's Word and our text. Holy and loved people of God in our Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever find it hard to read about all the violence in the Old Testament? There are more than a few gruesome things described and recorded in Holy Scripture. Some of those things are done by evil people like Athaliah in our text, killing her own grandchildren. But some acts of violence, some acts of killing, and even the disgracing of someone's corpse after they have died, some of them are directed by the Lord God Himself. Like what happened to Jezebel in our reading of 2 Kings 9. What are we supposed to make of that? Would Jesus ever do such a thing? Would Jesus sanction killing and desecration of corpses? Well, yes, he would. Because it is Jesus acting in our text. 
we know that Jesus, the Son of God, is right here in 2 Kings 9 and 2 Chronicles 22 and in every chapter of the Old Testament because He, along with the Holy Spirit and the Father, are the living God. They are Yahweh, God of Israel. The very same God who later took on human nature and became the man we know, Jesus, the Savior Jesus, is the same God who spoke to Elisha and through Elisha to Jehu with the command to destroy the house of Ahab and to even desecrate the body of Jezebel for the sake of justice and for the sake of salvation. Israel's salvation, David's salvation, and also your salvation and mine, brothers and sisters. Every act of judgment Divine judgment in the Old Testament leads on to the rescue of God's people, and so every act of judgment is lined with the bright light of God's grace, His grace to us in Christ. We hope to see that together as I bring you this word of the Lord. The Lord's grace shines through in His judgment. The Lord's grace shines through in His judgment. We'll see a wicked alliance shattered and a holy seed preserved. Our text opens by telling us that Jehoram's, after Jehoram's death, his youngest son Ahaziah was anointed king. Now, normally it would have been the firstborn son, but verse 1 explains why that was not possible, namely because all of the older children in the family had been killed by invaders. We read about that in chapter 21. It's repeated here. And that had never happened in the line of David before, that the king's own sons had nearly all been wiped out by foreign enemies. Wouldn't that make a person stop and think, like, what's going on here? How could such a devastating thing happen in the, the house of David who had been promised to have an eternal house? Well, it could only happen if the Lord allowed it. Such a thing could only happen if the Lord actually sent it, which is exactly what the Lord had threatened to do through Elijah's letter in chapter 21 to Father Jehoram. And this Ahaziah, who now comes to the throne, he would have known all this. He was 22 years old when he became king. His father had reigned for eight years, so all of that time was in Ahaziah's living memory. How his father had killed his own brothers. How his father had worshipped the false gods and installed the high places and led Judah to do the same how his father had lived and acted just like the wicked kings of the north in the house of Ahab, how his father had suffered four military defeats. Ahaziah would have known about that letter from Elijah, would have been all over the palace news, how Elijah had said to his father that because of his idolatry and his wickedness and that alliance with the house of Ahab, his father was going to be cursed with military defeat and also with a slow, agonizing death by the hand of God. Ahaziah knew all that. 
It was clear in his mind, but does he learn a single lesson from all the mistakes and all the sins of his dad? Instead, we read verse 3 of our text, Ahaziah also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. Why do the wicked not learn? All the evidence is in front of Ahaziah. Well, this for us, brothers and sisters, is a lesson in just how foolish, just how corrupt the human heart is. The prophet Jeremiah will later say, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The same heart, sinful, corrupt heart, beats in your chest and in mine. And unless the Holy Spirit takes hold of our hearts, our hearts will do exactly what Ahaziah's heart and Jehoram's heart did for them, pursuing its own wicked goals. We need the Holy Spirit. And we ought to take this as a warning, just how prone we are to wander, as the hymn says, how prone we are toward wickedness. We ought to beware the thoughts and feelings that arise naturally in our hearts. Do not suppose that they are automatically good, your feelings, your thoughts. Don't trust them, but test them against the Word of God, for only God's Word is pure and right and true. What comes out of our hearts is the opposite. And also, beloved, check who your counselors are, your advisors, your influencers. Who are you taking guidance from in your life? Ahaziah took counsel from his mother Athaliah, we read, who had earlier counseled her husband Jehoram into wickedness, which, as we know, ended so horribly. But Athaliah was not Ahaziah's only counselor. We're told in verse 4, he did, that's Ahaziah, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. Here it comes. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. Who's the they? The house of Ahab. So Ahaziah took advice. He sought guidance. He spent time consulting. Yes, his wicked mother who lived with him in, in the palace, but also his uncles and cousins to the north. Uncle Jehoram was ruling in the north, and, and he had cousins in that house as well. No wonder Ahaziah didn't turn away from the, the way of his father Jehoram, though he had witnessed how horribly that turned out for him. Do we realize, brothers and sisters, that our thinking and, and consequently our acting comes so very much from the ideas, the suggestions, the videos, the podcasts, the writings we read, the songs we listen to, the conversations we take in, 
Our thoughts are affected by all those things. The kings of old, they had official counselors that they had appointed to guide them in in decision-making, to provide wisdom. But really, every one of us, every human being is surrounded by people who are influencers. Right? You have that on social media. People are known to be influencers. Who are they influencing? They're influencing us if we follow them. We are not nearly as independent as we think. People raised by certain parents tend to think the way their parents thought. People who attend a certain college or university, they tend to come out thinking a certain way. We may not even realize it, but other people can see it. There's a thought pattern. Where does that come from? You have influencers speaking to you on your favorite YouTube channel or TikTok or through friends you hang around with. Brothers and sisters, ask questions of your influencers. Are they speaking godly, biblical, Christian things into your life? If you spend two or three hours a day watching videos or listening to podcasts, then effectively those are your counselors. Are they good counselors? Is the Lord happy with your counselors? The books we read, the sources of news we take in, the individuals we spend time with, are they helping to shape us into people after God's own heart? Or are they shaping us into people who chase after other gods? If your counselors aren't helping you grow in the the fear of the Lord, if your counselors aren't helping you to live as the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to live, then do this. Change your counselors. Throw out the books. Get different books. Change the channel. YouTube, TikTok, whatever. Because it's life and it's death on the line, isn't it? Remember, there's no neutral ground in, in, in the world. It's righteousness or it's wickedness. Which way is it going? It's God or the devil. And if you walk with the wicked, you will die with the wicked. It's very clear in Scripture. We sang it last week, Psalm 1. We see it unfolding in our text. The chronicler tells us that Ahaziah is so tied to the house of Ahab that he not only agrees to fight another battle alongside of his wicked uncle Joram against the Syrians, that's the same mistake that grandfather Jehoshaphat made a couple of chapters back, but when his uncle Joram is wounded, Ahaziah leaves the security of the south to go and visit Joram. And then we read in verse 7 of our text these very chilling words, but it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah should come through his going to visit Joram. His downfall would come through the hand of Jehu, just as we read in 2 Kings 9, but behind Jehu's actions stood the living God, Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is here. Son of God. Why would the Lord do that? Was the Lord against reuniting 
the northern tribes with the southern tribes, Israel and Judah? Weren't the twelve tribes His people? Were they not meant to be one people of God? Weren't they all in covenant with the Lord? And all of that is true. And yet, God wants only a people that worships Him from the heart, that walks with Him according to His Word. He's not interested in a people that is united together in evil. That's why He broke things up at the Tower of Babel, right? Unity of the church is certainly high on God's list. We hear it in the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and others that one day Israel and Judah will be together again. We can sing it in Psalm 133, how blessed is the unity of the brothers when they are together. We hear it in the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17. We hear it in the urging of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 that every effort be made to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, says Paul. But then, brothers and sisters, it has to be unity that the Spirit of Christ creates and not a unity created by the devil. It has to be unity in the truth, not unity in the lie. And that's a lesson, again, for us still today. You know, there's so much division. We all know that. There's so much division among people who confess the name of Christ. There's, there's hundreds of denominations, so many church groups. People grieve over the separation. Rightly so. And sometimes, sometimes Christians get so sick of it, the divisions, that they're tempted to, to overlook the differences and come together anyway. Never mind what this group teaches and that group teaches. Let's just unite together because we're all, we all love Jesus. Doctrine divides, love unites has been a mantra for some and they, they come together and they blend truth with lie. Can God be pleased with that? Is that what God teaches in Scripture, that we should just forget doctrine and embrace love? How can the holy and sinless God be honored? How can He be pleased? when his truth and the devil's lie are thrown together and people say it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Every word of God matters. That is why the violence and the killing and even the desecration of someone's body like Jezebel's ordained by God through the hand of Jehu. That's why that is in its place a good thing. Because it shatters the wicked alliance between the two houses. And it does so in such a way that it provides a stark warning for all of God's people through the rest of history never to attempt something like that again. God, had, God hated what Jehoram had done and what Ahaziah had done in aligning themselves with Ahab. God had earlier promised to make a house for David, 
out of which would come the Savior of the world. But if the house of David blended with the wicked house of Ahab, the promise was threatened. And the Savior's arrival was threatened. And if the Savior's arrival never, come, never came, that would mean no forgiveness of sin for David, for Israel, for you, for me. You see, brothers and sisters, the events of 2 Kings 9 and the events of 2 Chronicles 22, they are about our salvation. They are as relevant to you and me as they were for David. Harsh as it was, that judgment of God in these passages, it was a blessing that freed the house of David from the shackles of the house of Ahab, making it clear to every child of God that evil and idolatry will not be tolerated by God and that one day in God's time there will be an accounting, there will be a judgment. This whole judgment of God in our text, it put the fear of God into every heart. For people would think, who wants to end up like Joram or Ahaziah or Jezebel? And if you really still wonder what the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who walked this earth with compassion and kindness and healed the sick and cast out demons, who was someone who cared for the downtrodden, if you really have trouble thinking that He would be okay with this kind of judgment, then listen to this description from Revelation 19 about the last judgment. Speaking about Christ, from His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice calling to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat, here comes the gruesome part, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Not any different than 2 Kings 9, is it? Do not imagine that Jesus is someone other than the God of 2 Kings 9 or 2 Chronicles 22. The Son of God is the same yesterday and today and forever. Fearsome in His wrath. But also so determined in His grace to let the, His grace win the day for His people. For did you notice amidst all the slaughter did you notice what happened to Ahaziah's body? We read about the body of King Jehoram thrown on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth. You remember Naboth? That was the fellow who had been cheated out of his land by Jezebel. Well, God's justice came and Jehoram is thrown down on the ground and he's left there on the plot of Naboth for the birds to pick his body. What happened to the body of Jezebel? It's 
thrown out of a window or she's thrown out of a window and, and the body is trampled on by horses and ripped apart by the dogs of Jezreel, but not so the body of Ahaziah. The chronicler is careful to mention that. Verse 9, they buried him for they said, he is the grandson of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. You see that? Ahaziah deserved to be ripped apart by the dogs and the birds too. Why didn't he? Because the Lord had mercy on him for the sake of grandfather Jehoshaphat, the righteous grandfather, the grandfather who trusted in the Lord. He had his sins, we saw that, but he trusted in the Lord. Is that not a picture, brothers and sisters, of how God treats us sinners for the sake of the greater Jehoshaphat, the righteous Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ that God does not treat us sinners as we deserve. But much more than providing us with a respectful burial, Jesus Christ gives us a pass. He gives us a pass up from the grave to everlasting life with Him, with the Father and the Spirit, so long as we cling to the Lord Jesus in faith and walk in His way, like grandfather Jehoshaphat, like great-granddaughter Jehoshabeath as well. For even as the Lord was raining judgment down on the wicked houses of Ahab and David, Yet the Lord used this young lady, Jehoshabeath, to keep a lamp burning for David. This is one of the darkest moments in this time period. Verse 10, Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the family of the house of Judah. Can you imagine? A grandmother ordering soldiers to slit the throat of her grandsons, murdering her own grandchildren. Why? Just so she could have the power, the royal power. That's what it was. What wickedness. This Athaliah, she really, truly is a servant of Satan. For not only does she want the power for herself unlawfully, but she also wants to ensure that there never ever will be royal power in David's house again. For think of it, if all she had wanted was to reign for, let's say, the rest of her life, she was a grandmother, so there was only so many years to go, she could have kept alive her youngest grandson, who was only a year old, and groomed him to rule as king after she was dead. Then she could have at least had a life, the rest of her life in power. But she's after something more diabolical. We read, and I translate literally, that she arose and she destroyed all the seed of the house of David, house of Judah. The word seed is used there instead of family. She's determined to eradicate the seed of the house of David. And that word seed is an important word in, in the Bible. It comes back again and again. It refers in, in this context and another context to the human offspring. 
And when you hear the word seed, maybe it brings to mind the first time it's used in the Bible. It's one of the most important times, Genesis 3, verse 15, where God, speaking to the devil, says this, and I translate also literally, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed, offspring in the ESV, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So the very first promise in the Bible that proclaims that salvation is going to come, Genesis 3.15, is the promise to send a seed to the woman, a child who would take on Satan, a child who would defeat the devil. And God repeated this promise at certain intervals along the way in the Old Testament, saying to Abraham in Genesis 22, and in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So it would be through Abraham's line particularly that that seed from Genesis 3 would eventually come. And then listen to what God says to David. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Now the seed is narrowly coming through the line of David, we understand. This seed was critical to God's plan of salvation. No seed, no Savior. So what Athaliah was doing, she was trying to close off the very path to the Messiah. She was just trying to destroy the seed of salvation and make God's promise fall flat to the ground. I want to destroy the seed. But God's promise does not fall flat to the ground. God's promise can never fall flat to the ground. For He is faithful to watch over His promises, and He's gracious, and He's filled with almighty power, even when things look hopeless, as they did here. For Athaliah, she's got the upper hand. She's the queen mother. Jehu has cleaned house. She, he's killed not, her, not only her son, but who's the last of his generation, but he's also killed the royal princes of Judah. He's killed all of his royal attendees. He's killed all of his influencers. The palace is empty. There is no one to take over kingship except Ahaziah's children, whom Athaliah proceeds to destroy. And who's there to stop her? These are just young children, right? Ahaziah was only 22, so he would have had maybe, could have had a few kids, but they would have been like toddlers or babies. Who has the strength to mount opposition to this demonic tyrant who has seized the throne of power? Humanly speaking, there is, there is nobody who can do anything about it. But God is not human, is He? And right under Athaliah's nose, he goes to work quietly through this young lady, Jehoshabeth. Jehoshabeth is a sister to Ahaziah, most likely a stepdaughter to Athaliah, as kings oftentimes had multiple wives. But if Athaliah is Jehoshabeth's birth mother, then it's all the more remarkable what we see going on here, that in this corrupt house of Judah, 
is found a faithful daughter of David. How can you explain that? How can you explain the, the sentiments and the actions of Jehoshabeath in risking her life by going against Athaliah's plans and secretly hiding the son of Ahaziah? How did Jehoshabeath turn out so opposite from her brother and from her mother? Is this not the pure and simple grace of the Lord? Is it just not <clears throat> the simple grace of the Lord that explains that? On the surface of things, Queen Athaliah had all the power. She was unstoppable. Jehoshabeath had zero power. And yet, it was Jehoshabeath who prevailed. Why? Because the Lord was with her, clearly. Because she put her trust in the Lord, and she did the right thing because she knew and believed the meaning of her very own name. Jehoshabeath means Yahweh is an oath, which further means that Yahweh keeps His promises. Yahweh is an oath. Yahweh is good to His Word. You can count on Yahweh. Brothers and sisters, you can count on the Lord in your life. You may, like me, have very little influence or power in this world. You may be a simple person. You may be a simple girl, a simple boy, a housewife or husband, a very ordinary, everyday person. But if you find yourself up against evil power that looks invincible, if you put your trust in the Lord and do what is right, you have no reason to fear because your fight is actually the Lord's fight. And if you are with the Lord, then the Lord is with you. The battle belongs to the Lord who keeps His oaths. Jehoshabeath and her husband, Jehoiada the priest, they rescue a baby. They keep him, then he becomes a toddler, and then a little boy. They keep him safe from view right there in the temple. Don't you love the irony? Safe in the house of the Lord, right? Psalm 84 comes to mind, Psalm 23. Who doesn't want to dwell in the house of the Lord? Now it's literally physical protection for this little boy. Temple's just down the street from the palace, from Athaliah's house. They keep him safe for six years right under the queen's nose. The royal seed is preserved. Just like God will later do when Herod, King Herod, sends soldiers to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, and just ahead of the soldiers, baby Jesus is whisked out of town to go south to Egypt. <clears throat> This is how God works. God, God quietly waits. God quietly works. God quietly protects. And in the time of His judgment, God will then very loudly put evil down, as He did through Jehu's hand, so that grace may triumph 
until the day comes when all that is wicked in this world will be no more. That's the goal he's shooting for. And all that remains is grace for us. Amen.